Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk NASCAR for the first time in the 2024 year. The uh, Great American Race, the Daytona 500, uh, was held on Monday after weather delay. And uh, we got Rod Mullins here, our uh, NASCAR reporter for several years here in Augusta Free Press, uh, to break it all down for us. Rod, I mean, it's been a little while, man. Hope you're doing okay. Yeah, doing okay. Just, you know, uh, getting into the... Uh, I guess the feel of uh, getting back into this whole thing again, uh, you know, for me, Bristol's coming up pretty quick, coming up quicker than it normally has. So uh, we're, we're kind of getting used to that. And then also uh, some new names with new places, however you want to define it. But uh, it's been, it's been an interesting off season to say the least. Yeah. I was going to say uh, when you sent me that, uh, that email about, you know, credentials for, for Bristol is like, man, this is, this is coming up soon, so we we got to get in the swing of things here, right? Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the race on Monday. Uh, I mean, it was an interesting race uh, to say the least. Lots of lead changes. Uh, we had a big one uh, in the last uh, few laps uh, that right. took a number of guys out of the field, and actually one of the guys I guess who was involved in the wreck ended up somehow surviving the wreck and becoming the winner, William Byron, with the uh, the checkered flag under caution. So. Uh, man, what, what, where do you want to start with breaking down how things went? Oh gosh. Um, well, I guess one, you know, the rain, uh, they'd had torrential rains down there for like a couple of days. Uh, the Xfinity series race got washed out. The Arca race got moved up, uh, you know, moved in a different position. Uh, the truck race, they managed to get in, in, but I, you know, I was just really, doubting very seriously they were going to be able to get this race in at all maybe even on monday because what they ended up doing was they ended up having to push the xfinity series race to after the 500 that night and i guess that was because of weather and the way that the, the rain had moved in but then i think it clouds moved out and so forth and they had some really good weather to be able to race the 500 under but uh Man, I'm telling you, it was a it was a race. Uh, I was surprised, really not surprised at the pole winner, uh, Joey Logano, because you know he has uh, he's been had a dominant car. Penske's had a dominant car here the last little bit. They, hey, they won a championship last year with Ryan Blaney. But I think what surprised me was the figure that I had not really put together until just prior to the race. In seven races, Chevrolet has not won a race at Daytona. They have qualified on the front with Hendrick mostly qualifying on the front row and being able to come up with, you know, the pole position. But then in the in the final stages of the race, they've not been able to convert and make it. Ford has won four races. Toyota had won three up until Monday night. And when the race finally finished, William Byron crossed. And, you know, it's almost like some people might say it was scripted in some ways because Hendrick Motorsports 40th anniversary they're here they are at the daytona international uh speedway and stuff racing on this and a hendrick driver wins the race and william byron but i've got to say this william byron probably has emerged from this shadow that has kind of been cast over him for the last couple of years people wondering whether or not he could win the big one or he could get in a position to win he was close last year with a uh toward the nascar championship coming up with it but i tell you you couldn't have asked for a better race for him to come through and it was decided by inches 
you know, this is one of those things when that caution light came out and the caution came out on that big one right there toward the very end, uh, they had to run it back. There are some people that thought Alex Bowman should have been the winner or at least been named the winner, but, um, Hey, William Byron, he was there for the, for the cause and there for Hendrick Motorsports picking up that win in the 66th Daytona 500. So what was the, what was going on in that uh, 23 car crash? Uh, you know, I, I'll say, uh, because of the when the race started, uh, I was also watching slash covering the Virginia Virginia Tech basketball game. So I had two TVs in my right. living room, and I would be I was you know darting my eyes back and forth. And I look over and I see this crash. I see all the replays during a commercial break in the basketball game. Uh, but I, I honestly didn't get a chance to really break down what happened. What happened there? And and uh, I know what took out among the guys taken out Joey Logano, who led a lot of yeah. this race. What happened right. there? Um. It's one of those things of where there's just not enough room and then you're jockeying to try to get to at least the top spot. And I think what the biggest problem was that took place during the Daytona 500, you would have at times on the low part of the racetrack, you would have uh, a bunch of cars dialed in that would be drafting around going into the turns. And then by the time they get into the turns, it's like, Something slowed them up all of a sudden. And then the upper row, maybe three rows in the upper row toward the wall, they took over and then they would get ahead. But then when they got back to the straightaway on the back stretch, it was kind of a nip and tuck sort of thing. Um, it was just running out of room, people getting a little bit too um, antsy in the closing laps of this race to try to go and make a difference because a lot of these cars that got knocked out had a chance to try to win this race. It was a matter of who was going to go with who, who was going to dance with who, and who was going to tap somebody. Gosh, I saw a lot of tapping going on in this race. And I mean, they would come up behind and then there you would see this and it would be a tap and it would, you'd see the car lunge forward just a little bit at a time. And I saw that and I'm like, we're getting a little bit too crazy here with this whole thing. And just about at the point, I think that I switched over to find out what the score was in the Virginia, Virginia tech game, which I wished I hadn't have even seen in the first place. Um, that's when all of this happened. And when it happened, I saw the replay and it was just, you know, too many positions, too tight, you know, trying to cut corners, trying to cut in where, you know, places, um, and that jockey and, and, this is the same thing that came up in the truck race on Friday night. They had a big, huge wreck in the truck race. And now NASCAR is trying to look at things of what are they going to have to do to be able to, I don't know, slow these trucks down or prevent them from being able to get so tight amongst one another that when one taps the other and one makes a little bump, one doesn't come out of you know losing the airflow and so forth, and then the big wreck starts. Uh, with NASCAR, these guys know what's on the line. They're trying to make it a run toward the very end. But, you know, for teams that are struggling this year, and I've got a few of them, Stuart Haas is one of those teams that's struggling this year. Of course, they've got almost brand new personnel with the exception of Chase Briscoe uh, returning back in the car. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a good race for some of these people, you know, uh, wasn't a good performance. Bubba Wallace, he kind of came out of it. I think it was his third consecutive top 10, something like that in the Daytona 500. A lot of people were expecting him to kind of win this race, but, um, you know, I thought he would be close, but I kind of thought that it was going to be, uh, an unknown this time who it was going to, who was going to win this race. 
Uh, you mentioned NASCAR looking at things. Let's talk about one thing they're looking at after this race. Uh, uh, fuel strategies by some teams. Uh, take us into that. I think this was an interesting kind of engineering story here a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things of where NASCAR is kind of wondering, I think, more than anything else, how did they manage to go and do this thing with fuel mileage the other night? Because it was fuel saving, I guess, more than anything else, if you want to call it that. Um, NASCAR took this kind of deep dive into this thing to kind of see what they're doing. They're going to be looking at it over the next little bit. Um it saw a lot of these drivers racing at close to just half throttle at some points. Now, when you're at Daytona, you pretty much open it up. You open it up and you go full blast through there. But it's like we were talking before we went on to record. Um, some of these teams were going one one lap, 47 seconds, making it around the track. Next lap, still leading, but 51 seconds. They were actually losing, you know, time out of this whole thing, but they were easing back on it to try to conserve fuel. Now, whether that's some kind of new thing in the engine, I don't know. They've got computers now and these electronic fuel injection, uh, injected engines. Maybe somebody has been able to solve that problem of using fuel. I don't know, but Elton Sawyer, who's the senior vice president of competition for NASCAR said that. Uh, he said this on Tuesday morning that when they drop the green flag, they want to more than anything else racing as hard as they can until they drop the checkered flag. And it almost sounds to me like it's uh, you guys are not, you think that these guys aren't giving it their all when they're out there on the track. I think it's particularly, I think it's pretty smart because these guys are using strategy in there. That's one of the things that attracts me to watching NASCAR is the strategy that's involved. It's not the wrecks. It's not, you know, going 200 miles an hour and open it flat out. It's finding ways to be able to stay in the lead pack or at least be there when that checkered flag falls. And according to Sawyer, there's some strategy in it. Like I just mentioned, they're going to take a deeper dive into the situation and the strategy that goes into it. And my bet is if that happens, NASCAR's going to probably put some kind of stipulation or something in there saying, hey, you can't do this anymore. You're not going to be able to do this. How they're going to stop the teams, I don't know, considering the kind of, oh, how can we say this, rocky relationships some of the teams and uh, NASCAR are having right now is – I'm kind of leading you into our next story of discussion here. So. Yeah, let's go into that then. Uh, you know, there's a, there's been ongoing negotiations between NASCAR and the individual teams, and this is the this right. is the unique part of uh, of of the sports business side of NASCAR compared to the other major sports in the United States, where you have you know there's the MLBPA, the Players Association, M National Basketball Players Association has a Players Association, where they collectively bargain with the uh, with, with the league in question over lots of things. I mean, how player contracts mm -hmm. are written, how much revenue goes to the to the players and that kind of thing. Right. Well, in NASCAR, I mean, it's pretty much NASCAR negotiates uh, with the individual teams. And mm -hmm. uh, the team owners want to change some of that. Uh, talk about, take us into this. Well, the best way to describe it is this. Back, I think, in the 50s or sometime around the 50s, maybe the 60s, um, the drivers got together and they thought of forming their own union. And when they started thinking about that, big Bill France, who was the leader, the founder of NASCAR, 
he put his foot down and pretty much said in a roundabout way, if there's a union in this sport, I'm going to put my damn foot down and there's not going to be a sport is what there's going to be. I'll dismantle it. I'll shut it down before they unionize it. Now, you know, I really don't know the whole strategy behind it, but it is more than anything else, a family owned stock car series. That's what NASCAR is. The Francis, although you may see Brian France out of this now, he's not as active into this whole thing as possible, but you still have Lisa France Kennedy who's involved. I mean, they still have these chair, uh, you know, chair people that are there, that are conducting certain business for NASCAR, but it's all done from a family oriented owned boardroom is what's happening. And so this kind of collective bargaining agreement that you're kind of hinting to with that regard of going with the individual teams, they are looking at it. And these 36 chartered teams more than anything else are trying to find fairness all the way across the board because they feel like maybe some teams get a little bit more preference out of it than others. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I guess that hint uh, could be dropped probably in there by somebody like Denny Hamlin, for example. And Denny Hamlin had made a comment uh, back a little while ago, and he says, I think the whole thing is a monopoly. And that's the way he looks at it. You kind of get shut down in different areas. You're allowed in some places, but you're not allowed in others. Now, the way that he looks at that is, that might be the fact of money. You might be involved in maybe the money end of it, the negotiations and some things like that, but then some teams might be shut out on the safety end of it. And that is opening up some eyes where there's some people that's just asking the question, if we're going to have a role in this, we kind of all need to be in all of these different areas so we can kind of get an idea of what's going on. Um, each one of these teams, though, these 15 teams, they made a decision not to extend negotiating windows with NASCAR and NASCAR chairman Jim France, uh, although he occasionally meets with the team, but they've had a lot of things kind of going on. First, we talked about this before the end of the season last year, and that was the $7.7 billion deal that they had of media rights and so forth, Fox. NBC, Fox, NASCAR, however it's going to be. Also now coming into the picture, I believe it's going to be the WB is going to be coming into this as well. And it's also opening up the window as to what's going to happen for the future. And there's a lot of people thinking, hey, NASCAR may get to the point where they go on a pay-per-view basis. Mm -hmm. And it may be an individual thing of where you want to watch a particular driver. You can watch a particular driver during the course of a race, but they are hoping to eventually take this away. Now, if they do that, that's going to change the, the whole landscape dramatically from what we've been used to for years, because NASCAR has always been considered a sport that's been out in front of the people for the working man, somebody that loves to watch this, you can watch it on free TV over the air, or you can watch it on basic cable is what you've been able to do. Now everything's a little bit different. And I think that this whole thing right here is, is one thing. It's kind of like the best description I can kind of give you of this. It's kind of like the NIL agreements. Okay. That's about the best way I can look at it. And the NIL agreements are forcing changes all across the board in the NCAA. And if you don't believe that, ask Jay Wright, 
who used to coach at Villanova, he stepped away because he said the game's just not the game anymore. Um, even though he hasn't admitted it, Nick Saban walked away. There had to be something there in this NIL and the way things are and the way things are expected to be. It's the same thing in NASCAR, and the teams want to have at least a fair shot on the track, not only in a car like in the next-generation car, but monetarily and being able to be you know, cost-effective, reimbursed, however you want to say it. They want to have a chance at having some say in it. I think the best example of this is probably the recent NASCAR promotion marketing thing that they entered into with of all people Crocs. That's what floored me about this. I I thought, okay, I can see it for film. I can see it for, you know, other places like it used to be Kodak film, the official film of NASCAR at one point or another, but they entered into an agreement, a collaboration with Crocs, where they sell five-pack charms sold separately with these Croc shoes, and all of them are licensed specifically for NASCAR. There is no kickback to the teams, and there are no individual teams or driver charms. Who makes your money for you? It's the drivers. Who makes your money for you? The teams. If you don't have teams, you don't have NASCAR. And that's what I think they're going to have to seriously look at. And, you know, it's still up in the air right now. So breaking it down this way, if you're used to getting $7, they want you in one way, uh, hey, take a step down here and get $5 out of the whole thing. You'll be happy and stuff. We still want you to get maybe $7.50, but we want that bigger share to come along with this increment to help us because we need your help. Well, you know, there's been a lot of things that's hurt NASCAR in the last couple of years. COVID was one of them, but we have also seen a resurgence and ratings uh, sold out Daytona 500. Some of these races were sold out uh, going into the uh, playoffs. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot in a, in a nutshell about this whole thing, about this revenue sharing with NASCAR and the drivers. Yeah, you know, NASCAR is is the uh, one of I can think of two sports, the, the other sport being UFC that's privately owned. Um, you know, it's, it's it's owned by one entity, um, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL. Those are all collective kind of things um, where the, the owners are all the owners themselves are all the owners of the league in, in, in that sense. Um, here you have owners and then you have owners. You have the owners of NASCAR and the owners of the teams that make up NASCAR. Uh, they employ the drivers individually. Um, as you said, it, if the NFL does a marketing deal, all the teams share in that. Um, mm-hmm. NASCAR makes a marketing deal. NASCAR, the France family gets that. If, if Same thing right. with UFC. It's the uh, uh, the folks and now it's the, um, the folks um, with Endeavor, the group that merged uh, UFC and WWE. And uh, those are the two entities. I'll, I'll include WWE in there, sports entertainment, the three entities where uh, the percentage of, of revenues that go back to the actual people who uh, make the sport, uh, in the case of NASCAR, the drivers, in the case of the other, you know, UFC, the fighters, and the WWE, the performers, um, they make a lot less of the overall share of revenues uh, relative to uh, what it, the National Football League players do, MLB, NBA, NHL, et cetera. So, um, man, yeah, this is uh, 
you know, and it's it's this is the future of the sport. It, as you as you noted, uh, Rod, this is a sport that is again regaining popularity, which means more money. Um, one thing that will divide us all is fighting over money. Yeah, and and you know, I was going to ask you about this thing with <clears throat> WWE because you know the McMahon's at one time, you know, biggest you know stockholder, still kind of a family owned operation was what it was. And I know they've had a bunch of things going on in that organization. It's been like a lot of other organizations. We could talk about the Brian France situation here several years ago where, you know, he was in the Hampton Hamptons and then he was caught kind of, you know, one of these things, but he kind of went away quietly, still kind of involved to some degree or another with NASCAR, but he's not as involved as he was, but, you know, teams that are struggling right now, this is where it kind of concerns me. We're back to a point of where uh, it's almost like you have to purchase a charter to stay in the sport. Okay. It's the same way as the NFL, the NFL and the owners granting permission for a city to have a specific franchise. That's kind of the way I look at it. But the owners of the cars have to put up money for charters to be able to secure numbers and and to have teams. And then that's where it kind of goes out on the limb, sort of like what uh, I've been talking about with some of my students and stuff in, in class. If you go and you get a .com address on the internet and it is popular, it could either go for pennies on the dollar, however you want to go, or it could go for millions of dollars if you've got the right enough slogan. Uh, here's the thing. It's not going into the hands of the person that you know really ought to be getting it. It's going into the hands of who makes that possible, you know, in NASCAR's, in NASCAR's version of it. Um, there's just not, to me, that revenue sharing, that revenue sharing that needs to be out there for some of these teams to kind of survive. And I wonder, too, I mean, I was thinking about this as we started talking about this, uh, you know, the the fact that NASCAR, now it's a national sport now, when I would say national, it's, it's not just Southern like it was when it started, uh, you know, all those years right. ago, but in the South politically, and it's still the case, but certainly when NASCAR was founded all those years ago um, and, and now still being the case politically, the South is anti-union. I mean, most states, yep. all states in the, 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 the old Confederacy are right to work states, as we call them, where unions aren't, uh, you know, and collective bargaining and all that kind of stuff is frowned upon. So. I mean, I, so not only is NASCAR owned by a family, which is unique, but then, yeah, there's a anti-union bias, even though now, again, NASCAR is not just a, it's not a regional sport anymore, hadn't been for yeah. a long time, but um, it's, there's still some, that's still some holdover, it feels like to me. Well, and and the other thing too, and and you you're closer up there than what I am, and, and all about the uh, the Richmond area and what the proposal is about, you know, the bullets, excuse me, the Wizards yeah. now coming down and and so forth, the Wizards possibly coming to Virginia, uh, this sports arena and everything, and now the unions are getting involved, and the yeah. unions say it's going to be a bad move for all this stuff. Why you're going to do it? And I'm like, okay, I understand your points behind it. But you're kind of complaining, you're kind of comparing apples to oranges in this case. You're kind of going against the state that is, in essence, anti-labor or anti-union in this case. And you're going to try to defeat this. You know, I know there's politicians that are against it and so forth, but there's people that really think, hey, we can get them down here to Richmond. Hey, this is big for Virginia, but here's the big thing. 
that revenue right there that's going to come into Richmond, is anybody else in the rest of the state going to benefit from it? Okay. Well, Revenue sharing, you know, that's a big thing. That's where I'm coming up with it. Yeah. The big issue with that arena, a proposed arena is that one, it would be Alexandria. So just across yeah. the river from DC. Okay. Um, and uh, it's, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to end up happening because it's too big. The state would be giving the owner of the team, basically $1.6 billion to build a $2 billion arena. There's a lot right. of political opposition, enough political opposition, let's just say, um, to the amount of money that will be floated there. Because, yeah, like you said, then how much money ends up coming back to the taxpayers? I mean, you're a Virginia taxpayer. I'm a Virginia taxpayer. Yep. Uh, how much do we see out of that? And Because we're fronting the money for a billionaire to build a billion dollar, a couple billion dollar arena. Um, I think there's enough opposition to that, that the union part of this is, is just another layer Um and, uh, you know, so, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where public money to build big sports arenas has long since been proven not to really benefit the taxpayers. The taxpayers front the money and we don't ever get paid back <laughs> over the many years after. Uh, and so um, plus, gosh, why do they need an arena? I love that arena. I'm, I'm, I'm going to that arena, the Capital One Arena next month for the ACC tournament. It's a pretty wow. good arena. It's a yeah. it's a nice place to watch basketball. Um, so, uh, but no, it's it, it, that all winds together. I mean, yeah, the, uh, we, as much as yes, this this podcast talks NASCAR, and we talked about the race at the start. All this stuff about the money um, is what makes the world go round as far as NASCAR. That's why we do it all. Yeah, and and another thing leading up, and although this is not NASCAR, but this is a a sign of the changing times. Um, I don't know if you caught it this afternoon or not. Uh, Eli Gold used to be the voice of NASCAR for such a long time and stuff. Used to host, host NASCAR Live on Tuesday nights for 36 years, the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's fought esophageal cancer, uh, was cleared uh, back in the spring last year and told he's in good health. He can do this. He was told today pretty much by or told just the other day by the University of Alabama that he was no longer going to be needed anymore. Hmm. And it was like, OK, well, when I read the article, I first thought, OK, Eli's had this cancer. He's probably going to retire and step back from it. No, he got the voice. He got the word that said, you're out, you're gone. Now, where does that open up with all the things that are going on in the sport and also well, look at look at NASCAR too. I mean, NASCAR has a say in who your announcers are. They've got to have a say in who the announcers are. So you might get somebody up there with some unpleasant views and some things about the way NASCAR is. Uh, preferably, I'd say that's the reason why they kept Tony Stewart at kind of arm's length because Tony Stewart tells it like it is. He may not, you may not like him, but he tells it like it is. And probably NASCAR said, yeah, just for a couple of races, but no, hey leave Stewart out of this. And now it's kind of been like in one way, they've put the screws to Stewart Haas in such a way that their backs are against the wall. And Tony Stewart's like, we may even be giving up a charter. They might be giving up a charter or two by the end of this year, if they do not have a good race year. And that that's sad that some of these teams are in that kind of situation to have to go and give up a charter to get cash flow to come in, to keep that team going and then that's not even enough. I mean, look at the thing about Legacy Motor Club. That was a thing that was supposed to be at first Richard Petty 
And then the other people that had combined in there to form the partnership, Petty was going to be the ambassador, so to speak. It all gets changed when Jimmy Johnson enters. And then when Jimmy Johnson enters, they go, oh, we've got two, you know, seven-time champions of this whole sport together and, and so forth. Oh, this is going to make it even better. And then Richard Petty, who said, I didn't have a say in the matter. They end up going into a negotiation with Toyota. They drop Chevrolet uh, about quarter of the way or maybe halfway through the season. They say, we're going to be dropping Chevrolet and going to, to Toyota next year. And that's what they're driving this year. Um, you know, these teams are having to look at money. Who's going to provide the parts? Who's going to provide all these things that they need in order to keep them out on the track? And right now, some of them aren't getting it. They're not getting it like they used to. And at one time, Ford would spend just about every practical dollar they could and put it in and pour it into NASCAR. But now you've got teams that are looking in other places and they're looking at other sports. You know, possibility heard this the other day, too. You know who one of the possible teams coming into uh, NASCAR might be that they are in negotiations with? Honda. Hmm. That was a little bit of a surprise for me. But I'd kind of expected it was going to be a Japanese car maker, at least along the lines. I thought, you've already got Toyota in there. Uh, you know, why not have somebody else? Honda was probably the best bet. But even in that sense, American companies or General Motors, they can't even get into Formula One right now because of the situation. It's money. It's, you know, where are you going to get this from? How are you going to do this? And even if you've got the Andretti name behind you, like Michael Andretti did trying to go into F1, Formula One, it wasn't enough. And they sent a letter of rejection to them. So now, I don't know. Are they going to appeal? Are they going to be into Formula One? Who knows? I'm, all this is just in this huge state of flux right now as we go into this, this changing atmosphere of sports in general. I mean, not just NASCAR, not just IndyCar, not just Formula One, but it's everything. Everything oh. is changing really quickly. College basketball, college football, pro, mm -hmm. yeah, pro ball sports. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all – I spend as much time uh, writing college sports I, as I'm talking about NIL and uh, transfer portal as I do about the games sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely an important part, and that's why it's good that we were able to talk about this on the podcast today, the business part. Uh, the fun part then is when they race and we get to watch the races, and if yeah. it doesn't rain for days at a time to keep us from watching them. Uh, but True. yeah, this other stuff's important too. Um, well, Rod, this is our first NASCAR podcast of 2024. So um, got that under our belt. It's my fault we didn't do a preview of Na of Daytona. The calendar caught up to me. Too, I, I, too much basketball in my brain, I think. Uh, so Well, it's so. <laughs> it's been a busy time for me too. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things of where I kind of got there and I started thinking, you know, should we do something for LA and the Coliseum and stuff? I'm like, nah, it's just kind of a warm up race and yeah, stuff. It's yeah. not really one. But then I started thinking as we started getting closer, I started thinking, we're getting close to Daytona. <laughs> wow. This is, you know, this is really upon us. Just like the same thing when we were talking about getting their credentials for Bristol and so forth. And then Bristol. And then I got my my thing from NASCAR just the other day. It's saying, you know, here you are, you're invited. You've got to go and fill this out. And I'm like, Three weeks, roughly about three weeks is what it's supposed to be. And I don't know what I'm going to be expecting when I get down there. I was, I was just reading Crystal's article 
earlier, I think, on Facebook about the fact of temperatures in the 50s up there, expecting snow this weekend. We're expecting snow down here. Uh, that's perfect, perfect racing weather at Bristol, especially in March. You know, it's going to be <laughs> 50s, you know, during the week. And then we'll get a snowstorm in on the weekend, and we'll have all the drivers and the teams out on the track making snow angels. That's what they did the last time at the big, you know, snow that I went to. And that's the race I literally froze myself to death as a spectator. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And then I was crazy enough to go to that Virginia Tech, Virginia game and like to froze to death that night also up in Blacksburg. But and that was in November. I shouldn't it shouldn't be that. that cold then. I mean, you know. No, I know it. I but know. March, but yeah. I mean, April in Bristol is a challenge yeah. sometimes. So March. <laughs> good luck it could be 75 degrees or it could be 30 one of the it's, it and it's, could it's probably not in the know. middle it's going to be one or the other well and <laughs> and i know you've you've been going through some ups and downs up there and no bigger downer than what happened the other night like we were talking earlier about this podcast talking about uh, going between the daytona 500 and going between the virginia and virginia tech game and i was talking to some fans that love Virginia down here, kind of follow us, kind of follow you. And uh, they were saying, I don't know what to expect out of this team coming up. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I mean, and who have you got yet to play this weekend? Oh, just North Carolina. That's all. Just North you know? Carolina. Yeah. You know, so they'll it's, probably go out and win that game. I mean, it's <laughs> well, I know, but you know, and I don't want to get, I don't want to get my chickens counted before they hatch and stuff, but still it's a scary thing. I mean, it's like, yeah, you could see this, but it's like, did I expect that big of a blowout? No, I thought that at least the team was going to show up. And it's just like, I think the common argument was today, I think when we were kind of talking, the three of us, uh, two other teachers and myself, was this team hasn't gelled. It just hasn't gelled in certain areas and so forth. And then the thing was brought up, why doesn't, why is any attention, is there any attention being paid to free throw shooting? by uva and they've got the worst average of anybody in the country and i'm like i, think I know i've been saying this you know they're sixth worst they're actually sixth worst in the country there's 362 yeah. teams and they're sixth worst they're, in the yeah country. so they they're actually literally the are that bad um and, you know uh, what's funny about this virginia team they've won 20 games they've lost seven um the seven losses are all by double digits and and they're you know i mean they're bad losses it's not if this mm -hmm. team if, if, if they win they win a lot of games but if they get down, they lose. Um, yep. There's, it's kind of like the when I was talking about the weather. It's either going to be seventy five or it's going to snow. Nothing in between. With this Virginia team, if if you're watching them and they're playing well in the first half and they're ahead at halftime, they're probably going to win. If they're losing, yep. they're going to lose. And it, it's more often than not that they're going to win. But man, when they lose, it, what's the old saying about the little girl with the curl? When she's good, she's good. But when she's bad, she's really bad. Um, yep. They're really bad. <laughs> They're bad. Yeah, that's so. that's just it. So I mean, it could be uh it could be a hard year for the rest of the time and stuff. Don't don't start booking your press passes just yet to traveling anywhere, at least in the NCAA end of it. And I mean, you might end up going to the NIT, but that might not last long. Who knows? You know, I, it's anybody's gonna, guess. They're going to be point. an NCAA team, but I, what I won't do is I won't book the whole weekend. Is uh, I'll book. The oh, first I know. Night, yeah. And then I'll book my, and I won't book myself back until, uh, <laughs> uh, cause last, last year I ended up staying in Orlando for a couple extra days. Uh, I mean, there's worse things to do than being in Orlando. It was, it was warm. Right. 
compared to Virginia, but, uh, but yeah, um, I, I, I don't know that I'll be thinking about going to the final four this year, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. So, yeah. but still it's always good to talk to you about NASCAR and then also talk yes. about other sports because yeah, there's just so many different things going on and stuff. And, I, and I can't resist asking a little bit about UVA stuff, what's going on up, uh, up in that part of the state and so forth. And, it's always interesting hearing something and staying in touch with you and then reading stuff from Jerry and different people like that. It's always, it's always just interesting. It all runs together too. So it, it really does. Hey, well, Rod, uh, thank you for your time on this podcast. We'll talk again next week. All right. We'll talk to you later.